Got Your Ears On is brought to you by Tactical Legion 9. Alright everybody, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Got Your Ears On. Happy New Year, Guido here along with Scoot. Yo! And Johnson, Gophers, and Longhorns, and a special guest, Guido. Yeah, I know. Big episode this week, guys. Uh, guaranteed rate bowl. Not fun to talk about. WVU loses 18-6 to against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. But good news is we're excited that we have somebody who is definitely smarter than us and knows more about WVU sports than we do. Mike Kazaza from earsports.com, 247sports.com. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. We're excited to have you on the show, man. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction. I don't usually have it put in that direction. Usually people insist they know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> not sure I agree with you, but let's see if we can we can figure this out by the end of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, man, for sure, for sure. I guess, you know, we've got a lot to talk about with WVU football this week, but I, I, I feel like... We got to talk about what the biggest news is that that's out there right now, man, which is Jared Dagey has entered the transfer portal, will not be at WVU next year as a quarterback. And, you know, Mike, what's your take on that? You know, it was kind of a winding road to get there, which is kind of typical for if you're trying to follow this team. There, It doesn't ever go from point A to point B. There's always some sort of shade or gray area in the middle that's hard to navigate and understand. And what we were left thinking, if, you, if you're watching the game or you paid attention, Sideline report on ESPN for the Texas game. Daigie didn't walk on senior day. And then the sideline reporter drops during the game that he's talking about coming back. Right, right. He and Bryce Ford Wheaton can be special together. And then after the game, you ask him and the coach about it, and they both don't want to talk about it. So that was obscure, which is kind of how it went yeah. for a lot of this whole uh, the messaging here. Because, you know, before the game, he's like, I don't want to make it about me. I don't want to talk about it. I. I just refuse to believe that that decision wasn't made. We'd heard during the season that he wasn't going to be coming back. And that I don't know if it was during the open week or whatever, but that had been pretty much confirmed or they'd had the conversation about it. So to say they hadn't talked about it always seems strange to me, but there's so, there's so many degrees of what is a conversation? What'd you all talk about? So <laughs> yeah, who knows? Right. You could plausible deniability maybe be right. But I guess the, the big thing here is that you don't have to talk about it or worry about it anymore and you get on with what's next and then, think if you were clamoring for a change of quarterback or if you weren't going to be excited about him being back next season you kind of have what you want right now and you reconcile your feelings about the offense or uh six seven or whatever number Marquio is going to wear you know which one do you like better which offense is going to fit this team the best we'll see but I don't think it was a surprise if you've been paying attention to things too um it just seemed like it was unnecessarily complicated but I kind of feel bad for a guy who doesn't walk on senior day and who doesn't want to let his intentions known because if you'll notice in his um in his farewell, never said he was going to the portal. Just said he wanted to have a, a new home next year, and he never said goodbye to the fans. He never said thank you to the fans. You look at all these Twitter farewells or Instagram farewells, and there's always like, "Hey, Mountaineer Nation, thanks for this." Right. Guys always back. That was noticeably absent from yeah. him. So for a guy who didn't want to walk on senior day, for whatever account you want to believe there, but didn't want to walk on senior day, and then doesn't say anything to the fans. You could fill in the gaps there too, and this this play sometimes has a hobby of eating its own. You look at what happened with Skylar Howard and the way he's um, treated his his legacy here since yeah, then. That's right. You know that, that can be difficult for people. So I kind of feel for that guy. And getting bludgeoned in the last game didn't help either. I'm sure. Is that part? Of, is that partly 
Jarrett's personality that we're seeing, or is that part uh, Neil Brown's personality that we're seeing, where this is kind of like this meandering, kind of obscure? Uh, who do you think has more influence on that? I don't. I don't want to go on a tangent here because I've had my soapbox out in this for a while, but it's just hard to get a straight story on stuff or a straight answer on things. Who's calling plays? That's, why is that no. so complicated? <laughs> why exactly. we were just talking? Like, why is it not transparent? Yeah, and then you could probably tell during the game it certainly looked like Neil was more involved, more involved in the play calling in the bowl game too. Which maybe that's natural because Sirocco was on the other side of the field. Actually, he wasn't. He's on the other team at this point. But anyways, um, look, Daggy's if Daggy's vanilla, and that's your quarterback, you can do a lot with that. You know, you can you can program your quarterback, and if your quarterback's robotic. That can be good sometimes. Um, you know, he was good when he when he played within the constructs, but when you have to color outside the lines, it's difficult. And unfortunately for him, a lot of college football, especially on offense, is played outside the lines. Um, not outside the, like the you know sidelines, but like you got to get outside the play sometimes. And that's what they wanted him to get better at. And he just never really progressed there too. And I think sometimes he tried to a fault. And, and you could tell that was a guy in the pocket who wasn't comfortable, but also did not want to get outside the pocket too, which is a pretty dubious combination for a quarterback, right? So, yeah, I think that he – I think he wanted to be a really good quarterback and he just bought in completely to what the coaches were telling him. And that's admirable. And he just didn't have that that comfort, that that zest to, to really get out and excel, like I said, outside the lines. He really wanted to color inside the lines. And, listen, you can do that and you can create a beautiful picture too. But um, a lot of teams aren't going to let you do that. They're going to force you outside and make you play ugly a little bit because they want you to, right? They don't want you to sit – and, and, and your comfort space they want to put you in their crosshairs and he did not like being a moving target I think. right i agree with that and now it, you know it brings a lot of questions and you we talked you talked about it like the offensive play structure and now we've seen more wide receivers winston wright joins the transfer portal group of guys that's leaving you don't see this problem on defense like jordan leslie you I mean you're, you're seeing you know tomato josh chandler tomatoes coming back you don't see the problem on defense on offense it's like nobody understands who's calling the plays you got guys leaving left and right i mean do you think mike in the offseason we're going to see a complete overhaul of this offensive coaching staff i think you'll see some changes because i don't know how you can look at what's happened in the past what, we got 35 games now and say yeah that's it we need to keep doing that because important players don't agree with that and you know it's 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 hard. It's hard to really drill down into the transfer issue because it is societal right now, and it, it's kind of built into college football to be this way too, where you really have quick fixes somewhere else, and you have an instant gratification, but that's also facilitated by immediate eligibility and the transfer portal, and just to be frank, tampering. <laughs> like there's definite tampering that goes on. Like I, I will tell you that like one player who left last year definitely was tampered with and ended up at a school that you go, oh, that makes sense, right? So that stuff happens and and but the thing is that like it's you are you are right for the picking in in bad situations or situations that aren't especially fun. And when your offense is scoring as many points as the other team's right tackle, <laughs> yeah. when you know, when you're when you're not getting touchdowns and when you're you're constantly pushing the boulder up the hill, that's not fun. And you know these kids watch games and they have friends and they get to know people from the recruiting circuit and they're all on social media. And what are they seeing? They're seeing this guy that they're better than who's at a power five school or who's at a, a really good group of five school that's making plays that he thinks he should be making. I think that's extremely influential right now and there's nothing in there to stop it. So could it be a culture thing? Could there be, you know, is the milk gone bad, so to speak? Yeah, there's probably some of that. I think when you have so many players, it's impossible to say that that's not part of it. I think a lot of it's just human nature. So, you know, the one thing about this though, is you can't really control on your roster who stays and goes, you can't control who you pay. 
And these are, these guys all have one year left because they all got either extended or had their contracts continued into the 2023 season. So they're all under contract for next year. Um, but it's not like they can't fire people. And I think you're going to see probably a, a, a way for guys to just end up getting a job somewhere else. They don't get fired, but that person may be gone. And I just don't think it would be healthy to assume you could bring everybody back and do the same thing and expect better results. Now, could you bring the same people back, but facilitate that with some sort of philosophical change, some sort of shift in offense and the same people do something different and create different results? Yeah. Is that not change? I think that would be satisfactory. So if they came back with the same people and did the same thing, I think people should be concerned and maybe upset. If they come back with the same people and do different things, if they come back with different people and thus do different things, then you kind of arch your brow a little bit and say, all right, this is something. This is like they're identifying the problem. They're trying to do it. The trouble is coaches love continuity. They just love it. Um, they're control freaks and they're, they're paranoid sometimes too, and they worry about what change may do. That's a risk some guys aren't willing to take. And when you're a young coach who's gotten here by doing things your way, you really don't want to let that slip too much. Right. And I mean, this is really hard sometimes because I'm a Neil Brown guy. Like, I like Neil Brown. And, you know, I am I would imagine that I'm a typical West Virginian. Like, you know, we I didn't like Holgerson. I like Neil Brown. I And it's a personality thing, right? Like, that's how West Virginians are. Like, we are, oh, we love that guy because he's so folksy and lovable, you know. And Holgerson wasn't that. But at some point, you know, does Shane Lines, does the institution, does the state start to go, what are we doing here? Like, th- there's been no marked improvement in three years. Yeah, but I would say, I, I guess I, I can hum that song, no doubt about it. I think a lot of people can too. But I think you could also argue that here and now is why you hire Neil Brown. You know, he got himself into it. Can he get himself out of it? And that's when you figure out what you got as a coach. Like, if he's gotten here now and he says, okay, three seasons into this, I've seen the Big 12, you know, backward and forward, you know, three times now. And I know that what I tried didn't work, but three years gave it a whirl and it just, it needs a tweak. It needs an overhaul, whatever you want to do somewhere, one extreme or somewhere in between. Now is the time where you kind of say, all right, does this guy have it or not? Because if he can adapt and adjust and win, that's really promising. But if he doesn't see a problem and doesn't address it, that's concerning too. So I think that's, that's, again, I understand what you're saying. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think that another person or even the same person could say, well, okay. But now is when a really good coach figures out how to fix or, or figures out how to mix. You know, what can he do? And when you look at what Baylor did between their year one and year two with Dave Aranda, right. that is a stark contrast between his first season and his second season. And what did he do? He fired his offensive line coach. He fired his offensive coordinator. He brought in BYU's guys. And they're not running BYU's offense that you saw with Zach Wilson. They're running like a smash mouth run offense. But it's not what they were doing. Their offensive coordinator his first year was Larry Fedora, who's an air raid guy. They are not an air raid team, and they played with a pretty bashful quarterback. Um, a linebacker was their leading rusher. They they just found ways to be good, and they hit in a couple transfers, but they changed, and they were they were they were proactive about it. And they said we're not going to back up two or three times. We realize that we're in reverse right now, and we got to go forward. And they did it. Now, can you apply that same fix everywhere? No. Aranda's really really good, and coaches are going to come and work for him. I'm not saying Brown isn't. I'm just saying it's not the same everywhere. Everybody can't do the same tricks. Um, but the capacity exists, and I think you're not trying; you're failing. Yeah, I hope that I hope that it changes. I mean, with this recruiting class that's coming in, and I guess more specifically with the quarterback situation now that Daggy's out, you know, you keep hearing. I mean, Neil Brown said it all signing day, Mike. He was like, you know, Nico is going to be an impactful day one. Nico is, you know, he, I think he, I watched three interviews with him on that day, and I think all three of them he said the exact same thing: like he's going to be impactful when he gets on campus. I mean, are we going to see him like? you know, against Pitt, you know, throwing the ball around? Or is this going to be Garrett Green? Because, you know, obviously, and, uh, you know, you probably know more than we do, 
there's something between Garrett Green and this offensive coaching staff that just didn't jive. And uh, they put him out there, and it might be him. It might be he's not ready. But I don't see that love coming back between now and first kick of next year. So are we going to see a true freshman starting quarterback at WVU? You're probably likely to see Crowder if you're going to see anybody. I think they really like Will Crowder. And I think that they kind of have like a um, – the phrase or cat canary kind of thing. Whereas if they had had a traditional high school season, his senior year, and a lot of those Southern schools have gotten to look at him or ACC schools have gotten to look at him. It might've been harder to keep him. I think they really believe he's a good player and has good pedigree and knows what he's doing. And they, they watched him early for a while and they got on him. And then that whole recruiting year was strange. So they might've gotten a break there too, where maybe it wasn't so competitive. Maybe a lot of people didn't get to come down and visit him on campus. So I think he's a candidate probably more so than Marchio, unless Marchio just comes in and lights it up. And I think he has that ability too. We did a podcast with um with Clint Brewster, who is uh, Tim Brewster's son, college football coach Tim Brewster. But he also played quarterback, um, uh, Big Ten, uh, Minnesota, I believe, right? Yeah, his dad was a Minnesota coach. So that's kind of funny how that works. But he's, <laughs> uh, he's a talent evaluator for 24-7, and he's known Marchio for a while. And um, I'm not plugging here, but like when, when we had a podcast with him, he said some really interesting things about a guy who has been to different high schools and has started every time. He's gone there right away. He started as a freshman. He started at a different school. He's one big every time. And then if you watch, like, just I know, I know, like, I know we're all kind of in love with the moment right now. But if you go back during his senior season, he had some big time performances against really good teams, and none greater than that Bishop Gorman game where they were down by, I forget, seventeen points in a minute left. Yeah. He's, he's vomiting yeah. on the ball, throwing the game winning touchdown right. pass. Like now. He might be vomiting for different reasons against, like, you know, Oklahoma State, whatever. But, like, at least he's comfortable with it, right? So there's there's something there, too. But um, Green's one that kind of interests me because there's there's just a different offense there, and there's a different wrinkle that you can do. I know Mark Yo can run, and it looks like Crowder's got some wiggle, too. But this guy's just different, and I think there's, like, a competitiveness with him, within him that's kind of fun, and we never got to see Unleashed. I wonder how much damage that could have or actually did do because I think a lot of what he does is the color outside the lines. And I don't think you want to completely discourage that too, but I think that he was probably so in love with that sometimes or so quick to it that that was to a detriment that was probably held against him too. But let me ask you guys a question. Do you expect a transfer portal, an acquisition? For quarterback? I don't I, I, I don't know. Or, or a stop gap until Nico's ready, I guess, maybe. Um, I mean, do you really want to go into Pitt? If you're if you're 17 and 18 and you're coming off a sub-500 season, you have Pitt and Virginia Tech on your non-conference schedule, right? Do you really want to go in with, like, listen, we're just going to throw this guy in there and see if he can do it and maybe play two quarterbacks? Like, I really wonder about that. And it's a different world. Like, if you're if you're a couple games over 500 or if you're coming off a good season, you have some, you have some cachet you can use, right? That does not exist right now, and I wonder how much that factors into the calculus here, too. I also wonder if Lions and Brown haven't had a candid conversation of, like, listen, 2022, whatever, wins, great. You're not supposed to win 10. You're not going to win 10. Figure out quarterback. That's the goal yeah. of 22. That would be interesting to me, but I also wonder if that is if that is acceptable. I think wins matter for sure, especially if you're coming off a losing season, too, and, and you're, you got the, the natives are whatever they are, but certainly not not throwing parties about this stuff too. And if there's a guy out there who's a senior and who has some experience and who wants to play, I, I think you could do worse than that. At least having that guy in the room isn't even a bad idea. Do you do you think that Brown senses the pressure? At times I feel like he I, I don't I don't want to say he doesn't sense it, but at times my issue with, with Neil Brown has been it feels like at times he thinks 
he he sees something totally different or maybe he sees things in practice that we don't see but as the casual fan or even the invested fan when we see something that doesn't look like we want it to look and then he comes out in a press conference or you know post game conference and basically says you know we you know just things didn't go our way or you know we we weren't prepared or to me I I don't know I hope he senses the pressure, but I don't know that he does. Does he? I, I've watched him for, for three years now, too, and like I, I try to study him. And I, I could speak Dana's language pretty well by the time that he got done there, too. Um, I don't have Neil figured out quite as well, and I, I just don't – we don't have the same access to him as we did. But we won't have as much time either. Don't get me wrong. Like last season was really bizarre. You couldn't do anything in person last year. So that's kind of a, a sidestep in the whole getting to know you process. But I did watch a guy this year. It looked like he was carrying the weight on his shoulders much more than the first year for sure. Um, hard to tell on Zoom, but he just looked like he was agitated about different things and that, and that he knew. I think that his his personality is such that his disposition has to be, you know, optimistic and, and, and positive and, and forward marching. And that's probably really important for me, a head coach. So I think he's not going to let um, he's not going to let the ghost in the room, so to speak. You know, he's going to try to keep everything outside that he can. And he's not going to create a talking point by saying something that is going to become a talking point. Let's not forget, they used to have football without news conferences, right? Right. <laughs> like they still played it, and it was still fun to watch and coach and play and everything, too. So I think sometimes that, and this is me and the media saying that, that we probably fall in love with a, a goofy soundbite or something that could be picked apart. And sometimes it's just a guy answering a question. And what I mean by this is, like, there was a point. Um, it was after the first game of the season where they said that he was uh, he was evaluating Daggy's play, and he said, well, he only made 12 mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> there are 60 plays right so he made one mistake every five plays but like but what i'm saying is like that's that's an honest evaluation that we probably used against him or the player too and then so now you're like now you're now you're hurting the guy for being honest with you and then the time he's not honest or he's not as forthcoming you're saying well he was not being right. honest he's not being yeah. forthcoming. well we can't have it both ways too so again like i don't want to say this but i think sometimes we probably put too much into the news conference aspect of things and um i think body language can be can be as revealing sometimes it's an answer and i just saw a guy this year who to answer your question yeah i think he knew it. i think he was feeling it yeah i mean <laughs> it's a little different than it was even 10 years ago i mean you don't have 15 random podcasts talking about you every week and all of these real and not real news media outlets and facebook and twitter posts so it's it is de- it's definitely a different world now in, in the scheme of everything I do worry, going back to your comment about picking a quarterback up from the transfer portal or whatever, you know, like I, I, what kind of quarterback wants to come to WVU when they've seen, you know, Jared Deggie spent, I feel like, half a season on his back, you know, and blame the offensive line, blame Jared Deggie for whatever reason it was. You know, that's a hard sell, I think, to a quarterback that's in the transfer portal saying, hey, come to us. Don't look at the highlights last year where we had the quarterback that led the NCAA in getting sacked, you know? I was keeping my eye on Charlie Brewer for a while, and he's, a, he's going to Liberty now. But that's the guy I was watching because of the rapport. It, it was very much a Daigie parallel to me. I thought that'd be interesting. That didn't happen. Like I said, he's going to Liberty. But you're looking at a guy like that who, who needs the redemption and who's got that one last shot or that one year to do it. And I, um, I think that you could probably sell somebody on the offensive line. I think that they're probably going to try to fix their left tackle spot. I know Brandon Yates has played a lot, but has he played great football um, in, in spurts, you know, not, not terrific by any means, but left guard center, right guard, right tackle is pretty good. Um, and Yates is fine. If Yates is just starting left tackle, you can do something with that too. But I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and they try to get a left tackle in the portal or if they move maybe mile in left tackle, there's options there to make it work. 
Milam also was the right tackle for Marky. It was pretty interesting too. That's the blind side for left-handed quarterback. Hey, why not? But yeah, I think a guy that can that can run a little bit and that can again that can play outside of the lines. I think that's going to be an important thing. And if you've got a guy who's been behind really good quarterbacks or a guy who's a group of five who wants to play at a power five level or a guy that you just know can do stuff because you know him from high school or you know him from playing against him earlier, you're looking for that. I wonder if they're going to be in the room with a lot of stars. Apparently they've, I've not heard this from anybody here, but the quarterback from his name has escaped me now, but like the, the division, the FCS Heisman trophy winner and he wants to come up and play, but like apparently West Virginia has been in contact, but he's got multiple years left. Would you say no to a guy like that? Or would you, because he's got a couple years, or would you say yes to him because he's a talent, he can do it? That's where you get into the gray area. I'm not sure what you do. I think that you want a guy who's going to be here one year and maybe has a chance to have two years. But now you're also saying, am I forsaking a full season? Because you're probably going to lose Green or Crowder if you bring in a transfer. Right, yep. Because you're making him wait. Now, if those guys don't want to compete and beat the guy, that's interesting too. So, you know, last year I didn't think they needed a backup. I thought they had to have somebody who could do something that Daigie couldn't, which would be move motion move the pocket get outside and do stuff um i didn't think you needed another day or somebody who's gonna be a backup this year i think you would go in and you would get somebody to come in and start for sure but also somebody who could do the stuff that day did and and a guy who's mobile and does some things that just look different i think that would keep people happy but you're right that's gonna be a hard sell for people i don't know who's gonna be that that guy yeah it's it'll, it'll be interesting so moving from the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Jordan Leslie, on the other hand, post-game press conference for uh, the uh, – or post-game interview f- from the Guaranteed Ray Bowl, you know, talked a lot about you're going to be surprised in 2022. We're still young. There's a lot of happening. You see Josh chandler Samedo decide to come back for whatever year it is now that they get. They get, what, 15 years to play college football <laughs> now. But he comes back for his final senior year. Um, defensively, this team looks strong throughout the year – is there a lot of changes that you feel like need to be made defensively for us next year? They're going to have to figure out their safety spots because they lost two guys who played about, I think it's like over 90% of the snaps the past two seasons. Um, and I and I thought, frankly, that Adai and Mahone looked like that this year. They look like they kind of like were dragging themselves toward the finish line a little bit. Good seasons, both been good players, but too much tread on their tires, I think. Or not enough tread in their tires, I forget how that goes. But played too much football, probably. And they just couldn't get guys in the field. But they were also really beat up in the secondary this year. And there's probably a way that they could play Jackie Matthews or Charles Woods at a safety spot. But they were always spinning, um, you know, or, or Scotty Young, too, for that matter. They could have played those guys back there and gotten some depth. They were always spinning because of injuries and, and not being able to use freshmen. So the big thing for me is how they're going to fill the two safety spots, Cat and Free. Um, I like their cornerback situation now, which is not something you really said for a while because while they've had top-tier players, they've not had depth. And now you're looking at Fortune – Woods, I love Daryl Porter's just his his pedigree and the way he played this year too. And there's a lot of room to improve, I think, for him. That's three guys who can play, and they're pretty high on Andrew Wilson Lamp. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised he redshirted this year, especially amid the injuries. But they they think he's a guy who can really run. And just just for a, a, a kind of hint to his athleticism, they had him returning um, kickoffs in camp this year too to see what he could do. And he looked really good doing it. That's a guy who can run, and, and you know, that's a a high school receiver. So that's the type of frame you're working with there. Put him a corner. That's interesting. Now, will he end up at safety? I don't know. It's a big, rangy guy, so there's something to work with there. Uh, Spear, it looks like St. McLeod, their Spear for the future. Um, a lot to work with there. Getting Samito back helps at middle linebacker because you're probably looking at Lance Dixon or uh, Lee uh, Lee Koba, mm-hmm. the junior college mm-hmm. transfer, probably playing him at Mike. You don't have to worry about that now. You can keep Dixon at will. X-Ray Lowe is a redshirt junior. 
I feel like he's been with us for eight years. Yeah. I feel like he's been around. (laughs) I think Tony Gibson recruited him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's still on the team. Um, So, and then like, now we haven't gotten to the best part, the defensive line, like Mesador, I think getting through a season at the nose probably helps him get into a second season at the nose because he's used to it now and he can figure out how to handle himself between games and get across the season. I got a feeling Dante Stills is coming back. I mean, he's, he's hinted at it strongly now. Um, and I don't know by the time this comes out, maybe he has announced it, but it just seems like it's not going to be one guy that comes back. And then you're talking Stills, Mesador, Austin's a junior. Sean Martin was pretty good this year. Jordan Jefferson kind of unheralded, had a very good season in the middle there, certainly above his, his second season, even his first season too. But I think there were some questions as to whether or not he could do it. He did. Uh, Sean Martin looked good. They have something with Edward Bisterin and they're going to get, you know, continue to grow and develop there. That front can be really good, and the, the question with them has always been, can you have a front and a back together? They either haven't been healthy or haven't been the match of experience and talent front and back. They may have that now if the two safety spots click. I think they got a chance with um, the McLaurin kid from junior college, Hershey McLaurin, and then how they fill out that second safety spot is going to be interesting. It's probably going to have to be like Aubrey Burks or, or Davis Mallinger or someone like that. Perhaps they get another one. There's a lot of transfers um, available there for safety positions. But if they can do that, they're going to have a front-to-back defense that could become something pretty good um, with the, you know that blend of experience, size up front, um, and that front six or seven. The question mark for me is that bandit spot. I don't know what you guys think, but that's supposed to be the wrecking ball. And um, they, they just haven't really done that. And when you, when you look at when it's been good, Bartlett ruined that poor kid's career at Virginia Tech that one game. Yeah, um, yeah he did. Like, to the point he never played again, I don't think. Like, he came in as a backup, and he, they moved him out of the way. They put the center at right tackle. So they were on their third right tackle, and he was killing the guy. Um, but, like, that's the one time that bandit position has really flashed. They have him. You know, maybe it's Linnell Carr, and it's a rotation of the two, but they just haven't had that, that zap at that position. And when their defense has been good at Troy, it's been the player of the year. It's been a first-team all-conference guy. And I understand that's a Sun Belt. It's a little bit different, but, like, Big 12 defenses always have that terror off the edge. They haven't really had that. They, they get their pass rush from from Blitzen and from just doing good stuff up front. But if you can have that guy where he stands up and he's like right over that tackle or he's right over a tight end and you're worried about him everywhere he goes, that's a real threat. That's one thing they've been missing. I wonder if or how they can do that. Yeah, and I mean, I think also the thing that helps us out in that, uh, you know, on the defensive side is as much as it was uh, painful to lose Jamil Dye if, to go to – to Georgia and how he was loved in in West Virginia. I mean, I think this Jordan Leslie getting to run it and then having a second year. Uh, I think the I think the guys like him in the room. I think I and you see it from the transfer portal. You see it from everything you hear about the team. Like it seems like everything is clicking a lot better on the defensive side than the offensive side. So between that coaching coming back, I I mean we could be a top. Uh, back to being a top defense in the Big 12, I guess, would be my hope. Has a chance. Again, they're, they're, if they get their coaches together, that'll help too because they've had some turnover there in the past couple of years for various reasons too. But um, I just think that the message has been the same for a while now. And then more importantly, the recipient to the same too. That'll help them get better. Yeah, maybe maybe the biggest news then in the offseason coaching-wise for us is that Jordan Leslie didn't get that Troy job and that he's still with WVU. As we speak, yeah. Right, right. Um it's uh, it's one of those things where it, it's just the nature of the college football offseason where it's built into different tiers, and you're going to keep your staff together probably until signing day, and then all bets are off. Um, guys are going to have deals, and they're going to go. I'm not saying I know anything here, but it's certainly promising that he didn't get 
the Troy job that he could be here for another year, however long. But if an SEC school, SEC school, or if one of his friends, or if an ACC school says, "Hey, I'd like you to DC down here and make more money," that's going to wait until after right. signing day. Like he's not going to bomb the recruiting class of West Virginia, um, unless he does, I guess. But typically, the honor among thieves, so to speak, is you wait until uh, signing day comes and goes, and all of a sudden. Ship. So he's close with Neil, so I don't think he would do that to Neil. Well, he's probably close with his career too. So if he's got a chance to move up, right. <laughs> he might he might want to get out and get up. But you're right, he would probably try to preserve the recruiting class here as long as he can. So I was I always kind of laugh about that stuff. It feels really good, but it, it always feels really good in short windows in college football because there's always a there, there there's always a fox around the corner. You know, you can never feel too safe because there's always a date where something can happen. It just seems like they're built into the calendar that way. So, Mike, we're, we're going into the offseason here. We've got 2022 is is one of those seasons, I feel like, as much as we're excited about it, it's a little stressful thinking about, you know, two of your non-conference games are against old foes, old Big East foes, rivalries between Virginia Tech and Pitt. This team's looking a little worse for the wear coming off of this guaranteed rate loss. How important for Neil Brown is it next year that he does at least at least gets another bowl game appearance? I mean, he's done two back-to-back bowl games. Good for him. Didn't think we were going to make it this year. Kind of pulled that one out of the hat uh, with the you know the clock ticking. How important is it though that he you know shows against this schedule next year? Got to win. They just have to win. Like that's the one thing too. We can we can talk about oh they they could have won this one. They could have lost that one. You know oh they. You know the the COVID year, this and that. Oh, the year zero and year one. That's fine, but like at some point, you have to stop building in or or allowing excuses, and and you have to expect results. Like there has to be that production, and that's with everybody in every career, right? Sooner or later, you got to learn how to spell correctly. You got to learn how to teach <laughs> science correctly. You got to learn how to make the Big Mac correctly, right? So like it's the same. Like you have to do it. You have to. Like that's not an exception. And coaches get fired with winning records, never mind losing records. So. Um, you're gonna you're gonna see and catch a lot of spin, and you're already hearing it, um, which is fine. This is what they're supposed to do. But to me, I think that they were supposed to be good this season. They were. I just think that that was the expectation. You know, you, you don't extend a coach and his staff in the off season secretly, yeah. <laughs> and, and build it in so there's no raise this year, but the raise comes next year. Why? Are you now you're giving the guy a huge raise off a six and seven season, right? That doesn't make sense. It makes a lot of sense if you're eight and four, eight and five. You're like, oh, that's the raise makes sense. So. I think they were supposed to be good this year. And again, they 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 walked out the field against Oklahoma and into the postgame media and said, We'll see them in Dallas for the Big Twelve championship game. Let's not laugh at that. But let's remember that at that point in time, they were really close to beating a top ten team and thought, listen, we got it. You know, we haven't perfected the formula, but we know what it's supposed to look like and we'll do it and we'll get there. Didn't happen. So they felt like they were that close in the middle of the season to being there at the end. You can't get at the end and say, Well, Actually, we're still a year or two away. That doesn't that doesn't work. So what you have to do is you have to fill that gap by saying we're going to win games, and you have to. So that first month is super important. Um, like that Kansas game would really worry me um, because that team is not. I don't think they're going away. I'm not sure that they're not. They're not here yet, but they're not going away, and they're going to have you know a recent experience against West Virginia. Granted, it's here, and until Kansas beats West Virginia, West Virginia is better than Kansas, but. That's in a weird spot in the schedule, man. That one would really concern me because, Craig, if I'm wrong here, you guys can pull this up. It's Pitt, Kansas, Towson, Tech. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, awesome. that's right. I hate that spot in the schedule because you're going to go up that Pitt game, win or lose. That's going to take an emotional toll on you. And you're cruising because it's Kansas, and you know the next week is like Club Med against Towson. So 
that that Kansas game would really concern me. So that first month of the season is extremely important to the present, I think, for Brown, but also the future. And then, you know, if they don't have footing, it's it's going to be hard. Like a lot of these Texas teams, you know, Baylor, Texas, Texas Tech, they're going to be loaded up to like at a time they haven't been recently. And you're also going to have Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They're just going to be good again, too. So it's going to be tough. Um, you know, you yeah. may get teams that take a step back in TCU or Iowa State. Possibly, we'll see. Like, those teams lose a lot when they lose their coach or lose a lot when they lose, like, their entire senior class, which is most of their roster. So that's going to be an expectation for those teams to dip a little bit. But who are they climbing over? You know, that's going to be hard. They're above Kansas for sure. Kansas State's still there. Baylor's going to be good. TCU is going to be I mean, I, I, I tell you, Mike, that if we talk about it, and I'm like the eternal West Virginia optimist. Like, I am the WVU fans. Like, we're going to be yes, eight. We're going to start the season eight. No. I look, I look at next year's schedule, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this team right now would be, like, one and seven to start the season. Like, well, that Kansas quarterback is – I, I like that yeah. kid. Yeah. Well, and the thing too, Mike, is like what we've talked before, Scoot, coming out of this loss in the bowl game. If you if you get through those four games, those first four games, and you're two and two, it's not like anyone feels good about that. I mean, that you, when, if you're victorious over Towson and Kansas, I mean, and you've lost the two games that the fan base cares about. Well, the casual fans care about too. That's the thing. It's not just the yeah, right. It's the casual fans, the people that don't really pay much attention, and then they see well, you lost to to Pitt and Virginia Tech. What's going on? <laughs> right, right. Right. Talk about setting a bad tone for your conference play. Now, uh, Pitt loses their highs and drove again the quarterback. They lose a lot of their offensive line. Their defense has been good. They'll lose some players to the NFL and just for natural reasons. That's winnable. Like, and there's not going to be a great home field advantage here. And Tech looks terrible, right? So who knows what they're going to be like a couple months yeah, right? They, they feel like a mess, yeah. So, I mean, listen, you have to grant them the possibility that they're 4-0 too. So it's that first month is extremely important because you're going to either cast or reverse um, – perceptions about you there too so it's it's a big time and, and again you've got to win sooner or later sooner would be a lot better than later well that's what I, i've said that that first four games is, and actually i included the bowl game so the last the, the five games there are some of the most important games i think as far as neil brown is concerned at wvu because like you said if he if he the team slumps in the beginning of the season that's, a, I think, a definite hot seat. I think that puts him on the hot seat. However, if he's able to turn things around, that takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, and I wonder what changes they would make. If they're 2-2 two and two or 1-3 and three or whatever, um, you know, that four-game thing is when guys will transfer a redshirt, so that would hurt. Um, and then, you know, how itchy with quarterbacks. Like, if you're starting, you know, Crowder for the first four games and he's 1-3 and three or 2-2, two and two, how do you not play Marquio? How do you not play Green? Like, it's you're right. It's a volatile time, and, and a whole lot is on the line there. So I know, Mike, we said, we said we we're going to have you on just to talk football, but I just want to throw a basketball question at you real quick here. Just to, mm-hmm. uh, how, do you, how do you feel? There's mixed emotions between the three of us. How do you feel about this basketball team uh, going now into conference play? Tough loss to Texas yesterday, losing three guys to COVID or whatever. Uh, is there anything optimistic to look forward to with these guys on the court? I think they can be – I think they can be like just hell raisers. They're not going to be great on offense and they're going to blow a lot of things up on defense, but they're going to make it really hard on you. And if you think that's going to be a day off or a half off, you're probably going to be mistaken and they'll get you. Um, they're going to be tough to beat at home because they always are. They're not going to go away on the road because they never do. Like they're going to play like Huggins. And I think this is small stuff, but what was promising Saturday was that that was not a 30 point loss because it was going that way. And then, yeah. you know, Huggins is really concerned about how Polycap and Kerrigan and Curry 
would react to the Big 12 and like the ups and downs of a season and what they're like because they never really had that. They were on teams that, you know, if they if they didn't win their big non-conference games, oh well, you know, the MAC isn't that hard, you know, Conference USA isn't that hard. The, the MAC being the Metro Athletic Atlanta Conference, not the Mid-American. That's where Pauly Cap came from. I guess he came from the Big East, didn't he? Yeah, um, with DePaul. Yep. DePaul. I point being like not not the Big 12, not the brutal, yeah. you know, day after day challenges. And, you know, Pauly Cap didn't have it Saturday, but Kerrigan and Curry, well, they didn't either in the first half, but it would have been very easy for those two to say, not today. You know, this was tough. I, I learned my lesson here today. They played really hard in that second half, and they played well. They got points and rebounds, and they were empty points and rebounds because they got beat pretty good, but they could have packed it up, and they could have said, like, oh, man, I, this is not what I thought. And they figured that out in the middle of the game. I think that was promising, too. I liked what I saw from Bridges, and that's a guy who's got to wake up and has got to realize that the ball doesn't go in unless it leaves his hands. You know, he's got to shoot more. And then, you know, take your pick of your favorite staff for him. It was the seven baskets. Was it 11 shots? Was it the four threes? Was it the six rebounds? Was it the 37 minutes? They're all good. And those are things we haven't seen from him. He hasn't played a lot. He hasn't shot or scored a lot. That's good. And when he realized, again, it's empty, but he was like, I got to make something out of this here. Like, am I just going to be like a, a, a mannequin in this game and we're going to get killed? I'm just a bystander. Am I going to do something? He tried. That's good. Got a silly technical foul, but I like the mean streak too, right? That was a guy who was angry and he kind of tried to take it out. So that's good. Um, and then I just I just think there's something with their offense that they're going to have to find out where if they play quick and they try to get quick scores and early scores, they don't try to run motion and sets with point guards who just aren't point guards and they over dribble and they over stare. Um, they get themselves into bad spots because they try to run offense. And if they can find some like non-offense offense, <laughs> If that makes any sense. Like, don't if you're not good at offense. Don't do offense, right? right? Just fast break Ooh, and steal, can, steal the ball and, and yeah, go down and make a play. That'd be great, right? Make a miss shots, yeah. rebound it and run, steal it and run. In a perfect world, yeah. But you know they were scoring after Texas makes early in that game, so it's not like the Texas defense wasn't setting up. But they slowed down. They tried to get the ball inside, and they got in some bad habits of over dribbling and staring at the post. That's not good. Um, when they kind of spread you out high and wide, and they create space. That's when McNeil and Sherman can do some things. That's when you can get bridges into pick and rolls. Like there's there's something with their offense that can revert a little bit to last season when they got going and being like a spread out, four out, five out, sometimes offense. That's going to be fun. Can they get there? Can they do it? There's a lot of room to grow here. It's not going to be a team that competes at the Big 12 championship, I don't think. I could be wrong. Um, but I think that you're going to see a team that, you know, could definitely be vying for like a six seed in the tournament just because they got hot. And they won some games in Kansas City, and you say, okay, this is this is a team that's definitely one of the top 25 teams in the country, and they're not going to be a tough out, and they can score some points, but they're going to play defense and rebound. Um, rebounding is getting better. Defense has gotten a lot better. I, can the offense get better? But that's been uh, a how many years question with uh, with this with this coach and his staff and things like that too. But they have they have more offensive threats now than they've had in a while. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Huggins tends to, you know, he's hugs. I mean, he has a tendency to be able to turn things around and get it, you know, the ship sailing in the right direction towards the end of the season. But, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Guys, if you haven't got a chance, check out Mike's uh, podcast. He's on with Chris Anderson uh, with Country Roads Confidential. It's kind of like where I steal all of our content for every week. So thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> At least you're honest about it. <laughs> and uh, definitely, if you haven't got a chance, check out earsports.com. It's the 247 sports site for West Virginia. Mike, there's a deal going on right now, too. People can sign up for VIP real cheap, right? Yeah, we have them all the time. So I'm not saying uh, don't do it now, but always keep your eyes up. And if you're not going to do right now, you can sign up for a dollar for the first month and then everything gets you know back to normal after that. But you can also get out of it, too. That's fine. Um, but always keep your eyes open. There's always, you know, 50 percent off, 60 percent, 75 percent off. They're like Easter eggs for us. They just pop up. We don't ever really know. Because they don't want people like me getting on a podcast saying, don't sign up now. <laughs> sign up on February 1st, right now. 
but yeah, there, there's always something there. It's kind of hard to miss when we're promoting it, but I don't, I don't know if you'll find many more words written or spoken devoted that to, um, to, to the, to the Mountaineers, um, not the best words, but the most words. I mean, you, you and Chris put out a ton of, ton of content, so it's, it's, it's awesome to follow. So. Well, thanks. Appreciate yeah, it. Great. Well, thanks Mike. Thanks for being on the show. We appreciate having you and, uh, no problem. and uh, guys, we're gonna take a break. We'll come back, talk a little more basketball. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to got your ears on. Vortech Knives is a West Virginia-owned and operated company specializing in high-quality steel, fast-opening, everyday carrying knives. If you go to VortechKnives.com today and use the code G-Y-E-O, you get a 25% discount on your entire order. That's Vortech, V-O-R-T-E-K, Knives.com, a West Virginia-owned and operated company specializing in fast-opening, high-quality, everyday carry knives. Vortech Knives. All right, everybody, welcome back to Got Your Ears On. Guido here along with Scoot and Johnson. And listen, don't forget, you can find us online. Look for us on social media. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Got Your Ears. You can also check out our website, GotYourEarsOn.com. Johnson, it's kind of like the hub of everything about us. It is the hub, GotYourEarsOn.com. We always put the latest show in blog form there with all our show notes, links to stuff you can click on and check out farther. Um, further, Scoot? Farther. Further. Uh, further. Farther is distance. Okay, further. And then you can also click on the tune in link right on the sidebar of the page. And don't forget the merch store, where if you click through anything that you buy at the GYEO merch store, uh, will contribute to our uh, payment into the Hugs Fish Fry. So check it out. Yeah, Bob Huggins Fish Fry coming up February 18th. It's the 10th anniversary of the Bob Huggins Fish Fry. You can also check that out at bobhugginsfishfry.com and check out our website, gotyourearson.com. Speaking of Bob Huggins, guys, the Mountaineers played this past weekend, and it was a rough go at it against Texas in Austin, 74-59. And I'm going to start with, I mean, the big news was is that Taz, Gabe, and Kobe Johnson were all out. And and I, and I don't know if any of you listened to the postgame, but I thought it was interesting. So Huggins was talking in the postgame that he found out on the plane that somebody came back to him while the flight was en route to Austin and said, Hey, we got three guys on the plane that are COVID positive. That's not a great feel. No. <laughs> as, you, as you're the coach, that's probably like, Oh man. Cause now you're thinking, how do we isolate these guys on this plane? We're all kind of breathing in the same air, hopefully. And I, and I think I did read that uh, he had guys wearing masks on the plane. So I don't know that, um, hopefully they were wearing them the whole time, but I'm sure people are eat and drink and, and do all that kind of stuff. So, well, and um, he also made the comment Guido that I, I think at some point he said, you know, like Scoot said, they're all wearing masks and quote, they were all boosted. Right. You know, that that's what he was saying. So he, I think he was just showing his frustration. Like not only did they feel like they were taking precautions, but I got the impression he was kind of like, look, what's the, you know, what's the process here? You know, we, isn't, isn't this kind of like you guys are saying, you can't be learning this and finding out in route. I mean, now you're pretty much, I have a feeling you're walking in at warmups and trying to figure out, okay, now how do we configure a starting five? How's this going to work? I, I mean, you know, this was going to be a tall task even without this, uh, with that going on, it really completely, you know, shook up the whole make of this game by the, by halftime, you could tell, you know, they were really still trying to figure things out. Well, and I, 
I'm going to say this, Guido. I think what we saw yesterday against Texas is what I've been kind of getting at that is a problem for our team is that, and Johnson's alluded to this earlier as well, where we don't really run an offense except for the fact that we try to get Sean McNeil or Taz Sherman available to score. And when you lose one of those guys and Sean McNeil isn't the creator that Taz Sherman is, it makes for a very stagnant offense. And we saw, I think we were stuck on 16 points for something like 37 minutes, it felt yeah, like. right. It felt I mean, like it, an eternity. It was like, oh my God, are we ever going to score more than 16 points? And I think but that's a right, big part Scoot. of it. I mean, it, it allows the defense to just sort of blanket Sean. And that's what they yeah. did. He could not and that's what get they did. loose. Yeah, right. Like he scored seven of his 12 points in the first half, and then they really you know, started shutting him down in the second half. I mean, and he I was, think who they have on Andrew Jones, I think they had on him for a good bit of the game. And he was doing. I mean, I thought at least the first, and at least in the first, like what five minutes of the game, I thought he was doing a pretty good job of creating his shots and making space for himself. But like, and then they just figured it out and they shut it down. And and I mean, congrats to Jalen Bridges, who I thought was the one you know bright spot in the whole thing, Johnson. I mean, he had a tremendous game considering the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, Scoot, you know, Guido and I aren't bashful about our love for JB. He really showed up this game. I thought, I unfortunately, I. Once again, you know, we we needed we needed some other compliments. I think JB goes seven of eleven, Guido. I think he was four of seven from three. I mean, he really shot well. This is the first I feel like we've seen what we thought we might see out of Jalen Bridges. It's a shame that the other, you know, it's a shame that Taz and Sean aren't together with him on the floor when this is going on. But at least if you're if you're trying to pull some bright spots out of this game, I think JB's obviously where you're where you're looking. He he played with a lot of energy, which I feel like we haven't seen at times and I texted you guys this for me I need to see it in in multiple games back to back we can't just have this you know one game where he scores 18 20 points and then next game he's back down to four yeah sure right right like we've got to see consistency he's now this is his third year in the program so it's not like he's a freshman he's not like he's trying to you know sift through some sort of role he's got a role he's the starting Swingman, basically, or I guess at times even a power forward for us. So like he's got a role, he just has to be assertive, and I think that's yeah. what everyone seems to to say is if he's aggressive and assertive, that's the guy we we thought we were getting. Yeah, I agree. I think Guido. I I know I keep harping on it, but once again, I sat watching this game thinking this is where I wish we really had the true point guard that I thought we might get this year. You know, I think Kedrian kind of struggled um, on the offensive side. I think he had four turnovers, unfortunately. Malik Curry somehow, I, I say somehow because I watch Malik Curry play. It seems a bit chaotic at times, but he actually goes, I think, for second leading uh, in points on the team. I think he finished with 14, only one turnover, but a lot of his play feels like it's kind of all over the half court, you know? So Yeah. And Malik Curry has quickly become the most frustrating person for me to watch on this team because first half of the game, he's a train wreck. Like, he had, like, two turnovers in the span of, like, 30 seconds. Yeah, it felt super sloppy. Yeah. Yeah, he he didn't score any points. And then second half, he comes back, he plays well, he scores all 14 of his points in the second half to be the second leading scorer. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's so frustrating to watch him. No, I totally totally agree. I I think with Malik – and I don't know this, obviously, but my from from having coached and having watched a lot of basketball, I feel like he's still struggling 
to fit in. He came from Old Dominion where he was the leading scorer, averaged 16 points a game last year. I think when we see him in the first half, when he goes into a game, he feels he has to score 20 points in the four-minute block of time that he gets because he's probably worried if I don't, I'm not going to get it back on the floor. Yeah, I th- and he's not used to that. He's a starter from where you know he's probably started his entire life. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. So there were a couple of folks tweeting on Mountaineer uh, Twitter about they just feel like he's pressing, and I think yeah. and I think yeah. they're right. Like you see him playing, you know he's got ability. Um, I think when when he's good, he's the point guard that I think you know we could really benefit from. He is able to drive and kick a bit, which I wish this team would really embrace with these shooters we have. But then you watch him at other times; it's like he's just trying to do too much. He's a bit out of control. So I agree with you. I think that's what we're seeing. And I think we're seeing the. I think to me, the the of the three transfers we have, we have Kerrigan, we have Paula Cap, and we have uh, Malik Curry. I think Paula Cap has probably adjusted himself the best to the role that he's playing because he comes in, he plays with some energy, he gets you a block or two, maybe a rebound or two. He plays kind of tough. I still think he's a little undersized for where we have him playing, but he's done well. Diamond Kerrigan at times is like, this guy's awesome. He's a, a great rim protector but at the same time I think he's also struggling a little bit in the sense that he feels he's got to do more than he's capable of doing in his short spurt of time again the highly touted high school guy has kind of drifted around a kind of a journeyman and has struggled and that's what I think I'm seeing when he goes up to dunk twice and hits he gets blocked by the rim like there's no real reason for him to not be able to dunk those two balls that he got blocked by the rim and it got to the point where I think even the fans were kind of getting on him and he was kind of in his own head a little bit on the offensive end. Yeah. And I think too, it's interesting. You bring up the blocks. Don't you think it's an interesting stat that for the game? I mean, I know, look, this game actually wasn't as close as the score would indicate in my opinion, but you look at some of these stats, nine of 11 from the free throw line and scoot, you brought up blocks, nine blocks in this game for WVU, which I think really pops out at you. They, there is some, there is some between Kerrigan and Paula cab. I feel like there's sometimes a goaltend waiting to happen, but there are a lot yeah. of blocks. I think they make guys alter shots under the basket. So it's interesting. Texas has no blocks where I always feel like they have size to spare. And here we are nine blocks on the box. Score. Also interesting. Isaiah Cottrell with three blocks. Yeah. So that's maybe right. some of that defensive presence is rubbing off because I, we need somebody that's, Six ten or bigger, right? We we cannot run six eight guys out and have them go up against uh, some of these giants that we're going to see in conference. So the fact that Isaiah put in a little bit more of a defensive showing, I think that's a good thing for for WVU. I also want to say that I think you know we talk about Taz and losing Taz and the points that Taz and what Taz can create by losing him. I think losing Gabe was also big in this game on the defensive side because you saw a lot more drive. You didn't see somebody who was filling the lane and taking those charges. And I mean, we've said this before, like Gabe's wingspan is like 13 feet. I mean, he's ginormous when he stands out in the middle there. And you know, when you have you know Marcus Carr, Ramey, and and Jones all you know scoring 20, 15, and 14 points respectively. I mean, there's somebody's got to be able to break that up and we didn't really have that what do you think Gabe to me when I watch Gabe play he always looks kind of ticked off mm-hmm. when they tested them on the plane or right before they left what kind of facial expressions do you think Gabe had when he, <laughs> when yeah. he said he kind of probably treated it like we got called for a foul because every foul that Gabe has ever been called for he disagrees with 
He's like, yes. nah, nah. Yes. he's got this like, nah, no. that wasn't me. What's wrong with you kind of look? I didn't test positive. Right. He, tested yeah. that he's probably, here. he was probably so ticked off that he tested positive. And Scoot, is Courtney Ramey working on a doctorate? Oh like, my how God. long has he, can he graduate for goodness Courtney sake? Courtney Ramey and like, Andrew Jones and oh Brock gosh. Cunningham. I feel like have they've been, been torturing us for season after and season. Then, like, at the end of the game, and I don't know if you guys saw this, for the last minute of the game, Chris Beard brings in Yosemite Sam that he brought over from Texas Tech. <laughs> Avery Benson. This Avery yes. Benson character who looks like Yosemite Sam. I was like, what the heck is this guy? And then I thought, oh, he's a walk on. No, it's that freak from Texas Tech. And he looks like freaking Yosemite Sam. He's got some ridiculous mustache. Like he, I don't know, rode in on a horse or a motorcycle or both. I don't know. Yes, I knew. I knew. I knew when I saw Avery Benson come in the game. I was. I knew that Scoot had to say something yeah, better this week. I knew on that the was show. coming. I'm like what the I heck? Mean, he played. I don't even think he played a minute. I don't even like think he some of these minute, schools but. are employing guys that are 35 years old to come out and play basketball for them. Uh, we have an old team, but I feel like. Okay, maybe you're like, oh, Taz Sherman's still there, but he's only been here for three years. This is only his third year. We don't have any five- or six-year seniors like some of these other schools yeah. seem to have. Uh, so WVU loses to Texas 59-74. to And, yeah, Johnson, you're correct. Like That score sounds closer than that game really was. I mean, WVU only had 20 points at halftime. It was it was rough. It was a rough yeah, go it was rough. It was a rough watch. Uh, the TCU game for Monday night was postponed due to TCU having COVID issues. And so WVU doesn't play again until January 8th in the Coliseum. And Huggins said in his post game that he's concerned that Taz may not be cleared to come back by then. Gabe may not be cleared to come back by then. So I guess, you know, it's still up in the air on how the Big 12 and how WVU is handling the number of days that they are allowed to be out, because now the CDC says it's five and the NFL lets you do it in 15 minutes and whatever the rules are now. Um, so Huggins was, you know, as of the end of the game on Saturday, wasn't sure of the status for Taz and those guys. Um, Huggins Huggins was pretty upset after that game, guys. Um, it was the most down I've heard him in a long time. He actually said that this is the most embarrassed he's been on a coaching a team that can't run a set he's like i'm so embarrassed and i don't know again we talk about this a lot with bob huggins is that coach speak scooty is that truth like where is he on this so some of it i think is coach speak right because in his mind he's got 18 freaking fifth year seniors on this team <laughs> feels like it he's got a bunch of seniors right so the fact that he's got these older guys and they can't do what he's asking them to do is probably pretty frustrating. But I do think there are a lot of moving parts, right? Like the whole mindset that Malik Curry has. And, you know, you've got Kedrian Johnson who is pressing. And I think he was actually probably injured earlier than what we actually saw him because he looked like he was grabbing at his hamstring or his knee, kind of came out, then came back in. So I think that's a factor. But he probably right. also in his mind is thinking, listen, I can't afford to not play. We've got some guys down. Um, it It is frustrating because we saw a lot of like, well, I, again, I said we saw what I think guys have kind of conditioned themselves to. If, if Taz or Sean aren't scoring, they kind of forget where to go on these offenses maybe. You know, you're it's not used to running them. Right. 
Yeah. So I think that's where yeah, and, that, is and that's kind of like your those guys kind of have a security blanket. I mean they they can do a bit of standing on offense because Taz will create a shot or something. I think you're right. I I think the other thing Guido it was interesting to hear Hugs kind of taking some swings here. I just felt like he was in a yeah. bad mood in general <laughs> after this game. Like <laughs> yes, he was saying he was. stuff like uh, Texas isn't a hard building to play in. Like yeah, you can hear you conversations can, you can hear com- <laughs> and the, yeah. you know he was like swinging at everyone. He I think there was some comment Guido correct me, but he said you know they've got a good collection of players from different conferences like he was taking a swing like, at yeah, you know, said they, they've yeah. got all the best players from all these other conferences right. they should be good it's right. <laughs> right so it right. just felt like he was just overall like let's get out of austin like this whole thing has sucked and yeah. i just and tony caridi asked him he says is there anything and kudos by the way to tony caridi for those of you who don't know jay jacobs also out on uh covid protocols yesterday so tony called the whole game by himself and then you know after one of these games where we get you know just pounded into the sand to- Coach takes forever to come out and do the post game <laughs> press. Tony, Tony Caridi vamped. Tony Caridi <laughs> was vamping and vamping. And like, there were like twenty five commercial breaks. He was talking about you know the travel. I mean it, you know I'm surprised Tony Caridi didn't start talking about the food in Austin, Texas. Um, but Tony asked him. He said, "Was there anything good to come out of this?" And Huggins didn't even answer the question. He's like, "He's like, it's not going to change. It's not going to change until we we stop shortcutting everything. Until we start to do things right. Until we we can't even catch." He goes, "We can't." even catch a ball <laughs> so i mean it was rare form for huggins after it's the not funny but it just makes me laugh because it, it feels like my dad you know he's like just yes. get it just i don't even want to look at you right now just get out of here you know, like when when your dad helps you with, like my dad used to help me with baseball. He's like, you know what, just uh, just go over there for a little bit. <laughs> like when I, like when you're, a, you know, when you're on like a little league team or something. Do we think that that Jay found out that he was positive on the plane too? A lot of times these guys all travel know. together, so I'm wondering. Right. So that could yeah, have been kind of like Tony Caridi punting most of the broadcast because he's not prepared to just be by himself well and logically i mean is hugs in a bad mood now because he's expecting them to come back and tell him the whole team now has to be quarantined or oh, something he's probably you know? like he's probably you know in the back of your mind thinking that in the game so yeah. looking forward guido the game that was going to be played with tcu has been postponed already right so they have a yes. little bit of time if i don't know if silver you know i don't know what i'm trying to say silver lining maybe it gives these guys time to maybe get you know get right you know, and get healthy because you have a game now postponed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, though, is how does that affect practices? You have a K-State team coming in next week. That's not that great. You know, play Saturday at 2 p.m. That game's on ESPN mine, Plus, by the mine, way. So, mine, mine, yeah, It's time for it's time for everybody's favorite, yes. Bruce Weber, to Bruce come into Weber. town. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a really up and down crazy season this year with the way COVID's going and how these protocols work. I think you're going to see a lot of teams. We're going to play a lot of teams without guys. A lot of teams are going to play us without guys. It'll be it'll be interesting. Guys, some other basketball news we should talk about before we wrap it up this week. Uh, congratulations to Jay Sean Page. Gets called up to the Pistons, Johnson. Yeah, he got uh, called up on a recent contract. I think he was playing in the main, uh, the, the Pistons' main G League team. So, I mean, that's that's amazing. I think I, he signs a 10 day contract, Guido. I'm not, I, I'm uh, admittedly not versed on how those contracts work, but I have to imagine he's over the moon excited and it's cool to see him. You know, we've already been watching Deuce now contribute, 
huge for the Knicks and seeing Jay Sean get some time is is just super cool. I think he's uh he's been killing it lately in in G League play. Yeah, the NBA is just trying to get bodies up right now cuz they're having covid issues as well. So that's why they're doing those 10-day those 10-day NBA contracts. Also Scooty, Truck Bryant announces his retirement from basketball. It sounds like he's extinguishing his flame. Right? He's, he's no, so longer he's no longer on fire. He's no longer he's, on fire. He's been on so. fire. <laughs> But he's no longer on fire. It's hard to believe, though, that, you know, it, it's hard to believe that that 2010 team, I mean, that's 11 years ago now. It's it's hard. You know, you don't think, I, you know, I reminisce about those guys all the time. So you don't you don't think about how much basketball time, I mean, 11 years in basketball time, that's that's a long time. So to think of truck retiring at first, I was like, really? But then, I mean, that's a lot of. That's, you know, you're 11 years older. That's a lot of wear and tear on a, you know, an athlete's body. So yeah. I guess those guys are now, you know, getting to a point where that's a, that's a possibility, but good for truck. I mean, um, I know he had a ton of, uh, a ton of success post WVU play. So, um, so, I mean, yeah. that's, that's cool for him. And, and, you know, again, yeah. Uh, kudos to him. I mean, a lot of those guys from that team, from especially from that 2010 team went on to play professionally and you know all over the world so uh you know they've all done really well for themselves including truck so all right everybody listen we're gonna wrap it up this week for the show thanks to mike kazaza for joining us uh and being on the show we really appreciate it and it was fun having him on and uh we'll be back next week with another show i guess only talking about one basketball game it looks like if that one even happens on saturday when wvu plays k-state in the coliseum 2 p.m tip off that game is on espn plus tickets still available if you want to get in there in the coliseum and hear bruce weber uh, scream like a seagull um, and uh, don't forget look for us online you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at got your ears you can also search for us on Facebook and check out our website got your ears on.com thanks everybody for listening you've been listening to got your ears on